a bit of a pickle uh, when it comes to Easter, hasn't it? On, on, on one hand, uh, much of society doesn't want anything to do with Easter at all, does it? You know, it's, like, we want to be a secular society, or if we have to be, uh, we want to be a pluralist society. We don't want, we don't want anything to do with Easter. We don't want, we don't want anything to do with to Christians and Christianity at all. But then on the other hand, Easter's, <laughs> Easter's a good way of making money. So if you're anything like me, you've gone to your local supermarket this week and you've had to dodge this enormous display of Easter eggs that are sitting in the center aisle somewhere. Well, the question that I want us to consider this morning is whether Easter, whether it is a big deal or not. I mean, should we in the church or should we as Christians, should we be bothered about what we are supposed to be celebrating Today, is this, I, this festival, this day, is it something that we as Christians should hold on to? Is today, is Easter an important day? And there's, you know, to answer that question, there's a lot of places, there's a lot of sort of classic texts you could go to in the Bible, right? I mean, Easter text. You could go to what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians about resurrection, can you? Or we could go to the Old Testament. We could go to Old Testament prophecy about Easter. Can we do that? Let's not do that today. Instead, this morning, this Easter morning, friends, let's go to the tomb, will we? Let's go to the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ And let's think about the details of what happened there all those years ago. And I want us to consider just a few points from what John tells us in his account here. So, first thing I would invite you to do is to pick up your Bibles and and open them and have them open at John chapter 20. Because we are looking at the details in those nine verses. So, have John 20 open in front of you. And let's consider the first of a, a few headings. Let's consider the significance of the resurrection. Let's consider what John shows us here about the significance of the resurrection. Okay? Ready? Let's go. Now, the account you've got in front of you, if you look at it, it begins with Mary Magdalene. And she is on her way to the tomb where she anticipates finding Jesus' body. Now, uh, some commentators are going to say to us that there are sort of difficulties in reconciling what John says there with the other gospel accounts where they say it's not just Mary Magdalene, but it's a group of women that are going to the tomb, okay, on that Easter morning. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I don't see the, the problem. It's, you know, it could be for any number of reasons, you know. It could be just a group of women are going to the tomb. Mary Magdalene goes on ahead of them a wee bit eager as she was to get the point. I don't see the problem, okay. Regardless of how we reconcile the differences, what we know is that Mary is going to the tomb there. Why? She's going to complete the preparations for Jesus' burial. Isn't she? You got that? Now, Jesus has died on the Friday. He has died. And the preparations for his burial have begun then. But then they've been interrupted, haven't they, by the Sabbath. You couldn't do it on the Sabbath. You couldn't do it on the Saturday. And so here, you've got Mary, and she's going to the tomb, and she's going to... (laughs) 
complete the job, you know. She's got unfinished business. She's going to prepare Jesus' body for burial. So we know why she's going to the tomb. Really, it's not that that I want you to think about. It's when she goes. I want you to see. When does she go? Would you look with me at verse 1? See when she goes. What does John tell us? He tells us early on the what? Early on the first day of the week. Now you get that. Early on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. If you were here last Sunday, we saw the importance of that for our continued practice of worshipping on a Sunday. Jesus was risen the first day of the week. That's why we're getting together on a Sunday. Okay? I'm not going to go over the same ground as I did last Sunday. It's not about that. What I want you to see, what I want you to, to grasp, is that there John is using really unusual language. Do you see how that's unusual language? Like, what would you expect John to say? You would expect John to say, after Jesus had been dead these days, or on the third day, that's what you would expect. On the third day after Jesus died, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. That's what you would expect him to say, wouldn't you? You'd expect him to sort of underline the fact that Jesus had been dead. While after three days, on the third day. In fact, you know what? You would expect Jesus to use that language because that is what Jesus said of his impending resurrection. Let me read it to you. He said in John 8, he said, The Son of Man will be killed... Jesus said, after three days, he will rise again. You would expect that's what John's going to say. He doesn't. He doesn't say on the third day. He says on the first day of the week. It's unusual language. Then get your heads around this. See all of the four gospel accounts that, you know, sort of higher criticism will say, oh, they differ in their accounts of the resurrection. See, all four gospel accounts, they all use that unusual language to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. None of them say on the third day. They all emphasize that this happened on the first day of the week. I ask you, do you see why? It is because what happened here, this resurrection of the dead, this was the beginning of something new. Do you see it? That what happened here, what happened in that tomb, that it marked the, the beginning of an entirely new week. Do you see it? This event has marked something new, a new age, a new era. No longer was true religion going to have to talk about salvation in types and parallels and pictures. Now, because of this, true religion could be centered upon a risen and an exalted Lord. And friends, this morning, I want you to look, I urge you to look at Easter. Because of this, in new eyes, so often we think about Easter and it's just a sort of blip in an ecclesiastical calendar, don't we? You know, we're used to it. This is a sort of... This is a throwback to a bygone era of it's a British tradition. Friends, I'm saying it's not that. Do you see that Easter is the most important event in human 
history, everything in history, had been leading up to this point where Mary is approaching the tomb. Everything subsequently has to be interpreted through what for there. This here is a moment of cosmic and eternal significance. Why? Because the Son of God had died. The Son of God had atoned for sin. And now, on the beginning of a new week, the beginning of a glorious week, the Son of God had risen. He had risen from the grave. So we're seeing here the significance of the resurrection. Let's move on. Secondly, consider the inevitability of the resurrection. Okay, the inevitability of the resurrection. So we've left Mary. We've got Mary Magdalene. We've left her uh, on the way to the tomb and she's armed with spices and perfume if you like and even in the darkness that morning sun's not come up even in the darkness Mary looks ahead and she can see through the gloom that the stone has been moved away from the tomb and there doesn't seem I'm sure you would agree that there does not seem to be any hint in her mind of resurrection. Do you see that? I mean, she looks at what she sees, and it's very rational, and she assumes it would appear that the body has been taken by grave robbers. Okay? That seems to be her thought. Because what, what we see is she turns around, and she runs back to Peter and uh, the beloved disciple, John, the author, here, she runs back and do you see what she says? She says, she's screaming, they've taken the body. You know, they've taken Jesus' body. And that seems to be the starter gun eh, for the Easter race, doesn't it? Because what you've got is Peter and John, they hear this. The body's not there and they run. I mean, they are sprinting to the tomb. Uh, it's a good race, but John's the younger guy. Uh, so John, presumably because he's fitter, he gets to the tomb first. He beats Peter, waits outside the tomb, but he gets to the tomb first. Here's the deal. Let's leave them outside. Let's leave John outside the tomb. Let's leave Peter on his way at the tomb. I want us, I want you just now to consider what they would have seen. Let's consider the scene inside Friends, will we go into the tomb? A couple of weeks ago, a few of the guys in the congregation, uh, we got together and went up to Edinburgh uh, for presbytery. So I have to go to presbytery. Some of the guys didn't have to go to presbytery, so you know, you'll have to speak to them about why they would do that. But uh, gluttons for punishment, you know, joy of joys, Boys get together. It's not exactly your boys trip out to go to presbytery, but that's what we did. And I think I've said this before about uh, Edinburgh um, and the sort of main commercial streets in Edinburgh. What you have, uh, you'll see these guys and they're standing there in the middle of the pavement and they've, they've got their headphones in 
and they are looking so dejected, you know, they're looking really cheesed off with life because it's their job to stand there holding a pole <laughs> with a big arrow, you know, let's say golf sale this way or, you know, restaurant, new restaurant open this way, you know, and it's the most sort of uh, unsubtle type of advertising you can possibly imagine. That's the sort of thing that John's doing here in these verses. Because it is very unsubtle. Three times he repeats something. He repeats it to draw our attention. It's like this arrow. Three times he wants to draw our attention to the linen. Inside the tomb. The grave clothes that would have been around Jesus' body. And we are supposed to see the linens there. This wasn't the work of grave robbers. You see it? Like grave robbers wouldn't have unraveled the body of Jesus before taking it. They wouldn't now. They wouldn't have left the expensive linen and the, the spices and the perfume that was contained within that. They wouldn't. This, you see, Jesus' body was not taken. But really, friends, it is the next detail that John shows us about the linen that I ask you to look at. Because hear me, this detail that we're going to look at just now, and this sounds like nonsense, but I believe that this is one of the most beautiful and most amazing details in the whole of the Bible. Look at verse 7. Look at what we're told in verse 7. We are told that the burial cloth around Jesus' head, that it lay separate to the other linen. And it lay there folded. The burial cloth around Jesus' head, that was around Jesus' head, it lay in the tomb. And it was folded. Do you see what that means? Do you see that it means that when Jesus awoke from death, that he awoke calmly, that he awoke from death. And so calm was he that he could unravel the cloth that was around his head. And calmly, he place it aside. And he would fold it. And move it off. You see, he wasn't bewildered by the life that was now in his body. And he wasn't shocked by this. And he wasn't surprised by this. That Jesus was calm in the tomb. Now do you see why that is? There was a certain inevitability about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus knew when he created the world that one day what would happen? He knew 
one day he would be in the tomb and he would rise. And he knew, see, when he saw Adam sin in the garden, he knew one day I am going to have to rise. He knew on Good Friday, on the cross, when he was facing God's wrath at your sin, he knew one day that he would rise from the dead. He knew to the extent, listen to this, that he would say long before the resurrection to his disciples, he would say, friends, brothers, I have the authority to lay down my life, but I have the authority to raise it up again. Friends, are you not in awe of the sovereignty of Jesus Christ that you're reading off there? That he has wrestled Satan, that he has wrestled sin, he has defeated death, and such is his victory, and I say this, and I mean it with all reverence, but such is the victory that Christ has won over death here, that there seems to have been a certain nonchalance in the tomb. He's defeated death, but he can fold the grave clothes before leaving. Do you see the power in this? Do you see that it's unspeakable power? It is unimaginable power. It is power over death to the extent that the tomb of the risen Lord was left orderly. So we see the significance of this We see the inevitability of this. Thirdly, I want us to consider the necessity of the resurrection. The necessity of the resurrection. So you're with me in the flow of the story. We've seen Mary go to the tomb and then leave again. And then we've had Peter and John leg it to the tomb And we've seen him arrive, and then Peter goes in, John follows with him. We are told at that point, inside the tomb, you've got Peter and John inside the tomb, we are told at that point that John, the beloved disciple, do you see what we're told? He believes. So he's inside the tomb, and he trusts and understands that Jesus is risen. Now I want to be clear about why that is. It is not, now scripture makes it very clear, John himself makes it very clear, that he does not believe at that point because of scripture. You know, it's not that he's inside the tomb at that point and he sort of oh, remembers uh, lots of Old Testament scripture. It's not like that comes back to him or words that Jesus has said and he sort of puts all the pieces of the jiggle together and he's like, oh, I, I believe, it's not that. It's not. We are told very clearly that John here sees and believes that now the sun has come up and it has illumined the tomb. And John is standing there and in front of him he can now see the linen and he can see the grave cloth and he can see that thing around Jesus' head that had been there that is now folded and he looks at that in the early morning sunshine and he realized this was not the work of grave robbers. This wasn't theft. He sees 
that his Lord is risen from the dead. But it's the language of verse 9 that I want you to look at with me. So please, if your Bible is open, look at verse 9. Verse 9, we've got John seeing and believing, and then verse 9 underlines this. It says, They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Here's my question for you this morning. My question to the congregation, my question to you. This Easter, do you see and realize and know and understand that the Lord Jesus Christ had to rise from the dead? Do you see, do you know that Jesus Christ had to rise from the dead? That if you were going to be saved from your sin, that if we as Christians were going to be out from underneath the condemnation of God, that if we were going to be redeemed, that Jesus, this had to happen. This had to happen. If you're anything like me, over your Christian life, you have heard people say to you, and it's a common objection uh, towards Christianity, that people will say, this didn't have to go down like this. Jesus did not have to die and rise. If God was, as he purports to be in Scripture, an all-powerful God, he could have done it another way. It didn't have to happen like this. Have you heard that before? Have you heard that objection to Christianity before? Friends, consider this. Consider that if God was going to make people who could choose to love him, that he had to make us with the capacity to rebel against him. And now that we have done that and rebelled against God, if we were going to be saved, what did God do? He would have to send someone. He would have sent someone perfect. He would have to send his son to die and atone for sin. And then get this. If sin and death were truly going to be destroyed then Jesus could not have been left on the cross. He could not have been left in the ground. That if you, I, were going to be free from sin, he had to rise from the grave. And friends, I want you as a Christian this morning to rejoice. Because this had to happen and it did. This had to happen. And it did happen. See the angels in glory. Imagine the heavenly scene on the Saturday between the cross and the tomb. Now you've got Mary Magdalene. She's wanting to, to get to Jesus' body to, to finish the preparation. She can't. It's on the Sabbath. Imagine the angels in glory though. They'd have been holding their collective breath, wouldn't they? He's dead. Will he rise? Will these people be saved? And what happens? He breathes. He stands. He rises. And the work of atonement is done. The work of salvation is complete here. And Christ has saved his people. 
Do you see it? He had to rise. And he did. We should rejoice. He had to rise. And he did. And then I want to close with this. We've seen significance, the inevitability, the necessity. I just want to close with the response to the resurrection, the response to the resurrection. Here, I... I want to speak to you in this room. If you come to church this morning and you are not a Christian, I want to speak to you if Jesus is not your saviour this morning. You, you could be in here for a lot of reasons, I guess. Um, it's Easter, so maybe you've come to church. You don't normally come to church, but you've come because it's Easter. Maybe you've been invited by someone in the congregation to come to church this morning. It could be that. It could be that you're visiting London. It could be that you come to church every week and you have not yet come to Christ. The question that I want to ask you is, what is your response to this? Because you need to think about it. What is your response to the empty tomb and to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because what you've got in front of you are three responses. You've got three people. You've got Mary, you've got Peter, and you've got John, and you look at that, you read those short verses and you see that they've got pretty different responses to that empty tomb, don't they? I mean, they've got different responses to the resurrection. So my question to you is, which is it? You know, what's your response? I mean, are you... Look, I, I, is it like Mary? Maybe. Like, do you come to the tomb in darkness? You know, the darkness this morning of unbelief and as you're thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're thinking about that empty tomb, is it just, it's, there has to be a rational explanation. Is that all you've got? Is that it? I pray that the Holy Spirit illumines, you see that that is not right. Is it maybe like Peter? Is that where you're at? Maybe a bit more interested here. Maybe you are inside. Maybe you are familiar with the scene of the tomb. Are you, are you sort of familiar with the free church? Are you familiar with how churches work? Are you familiar with the details of the story? Familiar with the gospel, but yet there still isn't any faith? Maybe you're like, and lastly, maybe you're like John, as he was here, as he waited outside him, as he paused, has there been in your life this initial burst of spiritual enthusiasm where at one point in your life you have run to the tomb, but you're still waiting outside? You're hesitating. You're pausing there. Friend, I want to say to you this morning, if that is you, Easter isn't about Easter eggs. 
And it isn't about chickens and springtime. It's about this. It is about a tomb carved out of the rock that is empty. It is about the availability of salvation from your sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I am saying to you this morning, I am pleading with you this morning, go in. You will have to humble yourself before God. You will have to stoop to enter. But I plead with you, in the morning light of this new week, go in, see the linen, and believe in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. For he is a glorious and he is an exalted. What is he? He is a risen God. Let's pray.